Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a rewired news group podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that is sad that the Eagles lost the Super Bowl, but is excited that a black quarterback won the Super Bowl. So hooray. My name is Imani Gandhi, and I'm editor at large at Rewire News Group. And I'm Jess Piclo, Rewire News Group's executive editor. Rewire News Group is the one and only home for expert repro journalism that inspires you to, I don't know, take a page out of Rihanna's book. Honestly, any page, she's got it. And the Boom Lawyered podcast is part of that mission. So a big welcome to our subscribers and a thanks, hello to viewers and listeners. So as we've talked about, aunties are coming for medication abortion, right? Despite all the claims about how they just wanted to throw it back to the states, in actuality, they will not rest until medication abortion is criminalized in every state even the blue states. Mm -hmm. And because they know that medication abortion is the future of abortion access, as we at Rewire News Group have been telling you for years now, they're fighting really, really hard to ban it. Mm -hmm. And if they're successful, what if they're successful? Chaos reigns, right? Chaos. The entire healthcare system is going to be thrown into chaos because more people will need procedural abortions. That's going to increase wait times. It's just going to be an absolute disaster. Yeah, but here's the thing, Amani. The aunties don't care about any of that. Literally none of it. They have nary a care to give <laughs> about people seeking health care. No, no, no. Because instead, they have a plan and they are sticking to it. Leave abortion to the states? I'm sorry. Shaw. Are you are you kidding me? <laughs> they would never leave abortion to the states. No, no, no. So here's what they're going to do. They're going to go to a conservative lawless judge who's sympathetic to the cause and ask him for a nationwide injunction banning mifepristone. That's one of the two pills used in the medication abortion regime. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This lawsuit was filed before a lawless judge in Texas by a pop-up anti-choice organization in Amani gets where? Tennessee, of all places, Tennessee is is suing in Texas. Texas. Okay, what? The lawsuit is called the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine versus FDA, and like I said, they're seeking an injunction in federal court in Amarillo, Texas, that if successful, would pull one of the pills used in medication abortions from the market. And the lawsuit is nonsense. It's just absolute garbage, and that's what we're going to talk about first. The absolute garbageness of this lawsuit, right? I mean, yeah. it's astroturf litigation. That's what this is. The organization that Jess mentioned is called the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. Their mm-hmm. Secretary of State records say that they were formed in August 2022. August 2022. The lawsuit was filed in November 2022. And as Jess said, they're incorporated in Tennessee. So why on God's green earth are they suing in Texas? Well, let me tell you, because they have a favorable judge there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, does it sound absurd? Yes. Is it surprising? No. 
Not in the least bit, because if one thing that conservatives and Republicans are good at, it's this astroturf litigation. And so what is astroturf litigation? That is literally where a group from Tennessee figures, hey, you know what? We're going to pick a fight in Texas. And in order to do that, we're going to create a group. This is like literally make believe they are coming in, dropping out of the sky, out of nowhere, picking a fight they have no business to pick. Political organizations propped up by, I don't even have any idea. God knows the dark money behind here. And like I said, they they cook up fights, find a judge sympathetic to their cause, and then try and blast it up through the federal courts to the Supreme Court, to the Supreme Court, where, surprise, surprise, there are a bunch of handpicked Federalist Society stooges just waiting waiting with open arms to hear this grievance, this complaint, this nonsense litigation. Usually it's groups like ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, that brings this case, these kinds of cases, right? As is the case with this one. Now, Amani, I have something for you. Oh, boy. We're talking about abortion. Mm. We're talking about a cooked up nonsense fight. Mm -hmm. Guess who's behind this? Guess who is the lead attorney in the case? Uh, you know what? No, you're never okay. actually going to guess this. <laughs> okay. It's so bad. I like, I can't. I'm sorry. I don't want to step on my own line, but truly. It's a woman. This, her name might sound familiar. Okay. Erin. Morrow, Holly. Let that Holly? just sit. Holly. Holly. Aaron Morrow. Aaron Morrow, Holly. As in Senator Josh Holly of Missouri? Senator Josh Holly's wife. As is in. Really involved. As in noted insurrectionist Josh Holly, as in the guy who walked by the protesters and was like, yeah, power to the people and raised his fist. That Josh Holly? That Josh Holly. Yeah, That's okay. the one. <laughs> Here making an appearance, the Hollies. Oh, anyway, okay. I just wanted to just, you know, note that for reasons, really. Reasons. <laughs> it's just coincidence. Quinky dink here. We should probably talk about their arguments, though. All right, let's do it. So the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, they're the primary plaintiff in this case. There are a couple of other individual ones, but we're going to focus on the Alliance for Hippocratic yeah. Medicine. They are arguing that the FDA shouldn't have approved Mifeprex when it did in the year 2000. 2000. Hold up. The, the millennia? <laughs> the millennia, if you don't, if you recall, if you want to get jiggy with it. <laughs> oh, I recall. No, 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 no. Jiggy with it. No, 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 no. Okay. All right. Are we, we're already off the rails. But yeah, they're saying that the FDA should not have approved Mifeprex in 2000. And they're doing so by essentially disputing the science and the evidence that led the FDA to approve Mifeprex. Mm -hmm. And they're doing it with these cherry picked studies that don't even support their claims. So what they're doing essentially is they're pitting the theory of nuh-uh against 23 years of evidence, science, studies, documents, justifying the FDA's approval of Mifeprix in, again, the year 2000. I, I, I just have to adjust myself in my seat here for a minute because I'm picturing their legal arguments 
nearly old enough to buy a damn beer. <laughs> Seriously. Like, Seriously. I, 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 how? We talk about things being timely in the law. Like, I'm really, truly struggling for words right now. Let me just suggest that complaining about an FDA approval from 20 years ago might be wildly untimely, like just a little bit late, just a smidge, just a scotch, okay? Like the, the FDA, as Amani said, first approved the drug in 2000. And, you know, when the law mattered, we had things like the statute of limitations for bringing certain types of claims. That was like a time bar so that we weren't here 20 years later complaining about about FDA approval. They had six years. I don't know. Their main claims should have been raised before they could drive, right? Like before it was old enough to drive. I just... Dobbs changed a lot. And the fact that we can even do a podcast entertaining a complaint by a pop-up anti-choice organization that should have been filed over a decade ago is exhibit A, right? Yes. And also, would it surprise you if I told you that the requirements for a preliminary injunction, which is what they're seeking, they want this judge to Mm -hmm. enjoin enjoy enjoying they want this judge to enjoin right Uh marketing this product providing this product they have they have none of the qualifications that need to be met for a preliminary injunction right a preliminary injunction is supposed to maintain the status quo while parties litigate their claims like a lot of times we talk about preliminary injunctions as if they are like the end-all be-all of litigation but they're not they're just that first step that says hey we've got beef We need to maintain the status quo while we litigate our claims, right? So Mm -hmm. here, the status quo would be letting medication abortion remain on the market, letting Mifeprix remain on the market while the litigation proceeds, right? That's number one. Number two, for a preliminary injunction to be issued, the party seeking that injunction must have suffered or must be suffering irreparable harm if that injunction is not granted, right? So the AHM, the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, must prove that they will suffer harm, irreparable harm, in order to ask and get this preliminary injunction. There's no irreparable harm here. All this would do, all permitting this preliminary injunction to go forward would do, would upend the status quo and -hmm. all of the reliance interests uh, when it comes to medication abortion, when it comes to Mifeprix, right? Because patients and doctors have been relying on Mifepristone as well as businesses involved with the distribution of Mifepristone, right? We're talking about big pharma, the people that are making these pills. Uh, My shocked face is that, you know, the aunties are out here filing these like wildly untimely claims that can't even meet the basis of what they are seeking in terms of preliminary injunction. Because, you know, look, I'm no fan of civil procedure as we have established on this podcast time and time again. But would it also surprise you to hear that they don't seem to really have any legal standing in this case, right? They don't have a dog in the fight. That's what standing is. As Amani said, you have to be able to show that you as a plaintiff, as a party to a lawsuit are being injured 
in some way. I have a question for you, Amani. Hit me. Where's their fucking injury? <laughs> Where? I... How? Plaintiffs need an injury. They need to have lost money. They need to have lost something. They need to be harmed by the fact that Mifepristone has been available on the marketplace for over 20 years. And look, like I said, I'm no civil procedure fan, but as best I can tell, they don't have an injury here. There's not one. They're what? A group of physicians in an organization comprised of members who have what? What are they saying that they've lost here? Help me. Well, Jess, I feel like you're being a little bit unfair to this group of physicians because they have grave injuries. And let me tell you what they are. They are claiming that they will be injured because other physicians will prescribe mifepristone to patients who will then have adverse events. And then those patients will seek care from one of these complaining physicians, right? From one of these members of Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. And then that complaining physician will be forced to divert time and resources from other patients, from non-medication abortion patients, which will then subject them to potential liability and exposure and increased insurance costs and potentially cause them to suffer grief, distress, and guilt. Because you see, these medication abortions, abortion patients are going to come in with adverse events, and then all the other patients are just going to be thrown to the wayside while these physicians have to work on these patients, and it's going to cause them so much stress. And it's going to cause them so many sads and it's going to give them the medication abortion blues. And they're going to be all like, Ba-na-na-na. this patient walked into my office. Ba-na-na-na. She had an adverse event. Ba-na-na-na. It was because of Mifepristone. Ba-na-na. And now I got to repent. I said, <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> medication abortion is giving blues. me the blues. <laughs> Oh my God. And now I got to <laughs> repent. And now I got to repent. I came up with that on the fly. I was like, oh my God, I need to come up with a word that rhymes with that. <laughs> oh. oh man. I'm sorry. I was busy trying to make a flow chart of the potential injury that you were describing. That was like my Carrie Matheson string board in the background <laughs> in terms of how Your they Charlie were. day like <laughs> seriously like and then it's like this and this is how we're injured There's and then no we had Mrs. to take De Silva. <laughs> and then we had to take a blues break but uh, look here's the thing folks you thought that was bad it gets even more ridiculous okay. it really truly does Okay, so hold on to your butts for this one. They're arguing that the FDA's actions. Amani, I just want to oh, I want to no. prepare you for this I, one, too. I don't like it. I already hate it. You already don't like it. You already <laughs> hate it. They're arguing that the FDA's actions by approving Mifepristone and allowing it to stay on the market deprive them of the opportunity to provide pregnancy care. I'm sorry, what now? deprive them of the opportunity to provide pregnancy care. The opportunity. Uh-huh. Hold on, hold on. As as if the FDA 
hadn't approved medication abortion, then these physicians would be able to provide pregnancy care to these people taking mifepristone instead. So what, they're arguing something like, like tortious interference with business opportunities? Like if people weren't taking medication abortion pills, then they would necessarily be going to these particular physicians and seeking pregnancy care, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is speculation of the highest order. It doesn't even make any sense. There's no way that they have of knowing that a particular medication abortion patient would otherwise go to them for pregnancy care. Like what? What in the world are they talking about? That's absurd. Absurd. Like, and I mean, Amani, we've been doing this for a while, right? This is truly one. This is a new level of absurdity. Just when you think they've reached the heights. Nope. They're up there high-fiving Jesus. It is <laughs> wild. Jesus. It is wild. Courts have consistently, let me say that again, consistently rejected this kind of speculation based on like, well, if first of all, I hadn't, I don't know, like decided to put the package containing explosives down by the train tracks, then five miles later, we wouldn't have an explosion that caused injury to Mrs. Paul's graph. That is a deep That's a case. cut. That is for the tort, tort student. <laughs> the idea is that the law requires plaintiffs to show some closeness to the event that they're claiming injured them and the injury that they received. Not 40, 50 steps down the causal chain. It's got to be close, right? They can't prove that but for medication abortion, a particular individual would have gone to a particular physician for pregnancy care. And that's my point of that ridiculous tirade. It, it's even more ridiculous when you think about the statute of limitations, right? The six-year statute of limitations that you talked about. So if even if all of this stuff weren't wildly speculative... Like, even if we could say, yeah, sure, you know, it's depriving people of providing pregnancy care. Abortion pills have been in circulation for 20 years. 20 years. If any of this parade of horribles that uh, the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine has set forth, if any of this shit were going to pass, it would have happened already. Right? Like, right. they filed this complaint saying all of the speculation. They didn't file a declaration. They didn't file a freaking affidavit saying, oh, yeah, you know, Jane Doe got a medication abortion. But right before she did, she came to my office and said, you know what, Dr. So-and-so, I want to seek pregnancy care from you. But then she didn't because the evil abortionist got their hands on her and shoved her full of pills. <laughs> I mean, it's just it doesn't make any sense. Right. They make None. these sweeping and speculative assertions that the adverse events from the use of mifepristone, which, by the way, are Far and few between. I mean, it is a wildly safe procedure to take these pills, right? Mm -hmm. But they're claiming that the use of mifepristone, the adverse events from the use of mifepristone will, quote, overwhelm, sarcastic quotes, the medical system and their medical practices in particular, not just the whole system, but they personally are going to be over overwhelmed. And if that were true, it would have happened already at some point in the last 20 years. 
and that it hasn't happened, that these people didn't supply any evidence really that this was a problem for them. I mean, it indicates that there's no harm whatsoever, much less the irreparable harm that you need for a preliminary injunction. And like everything with the aunties, you know, up is down and down is up. What happens if we yank this drug from the marketplace? Actual real harm, actual real chaos, actual real injury. So the big takeaway here is that the anti's claims in this lawsuit are legally nonsense. But, and this is a big important but here, the court is likely to buy them anyway because conservatives now use the federal courts to impose and craft their own policy. This case is cooked up to go to the Supreme Court. And that's the second thing we're going to talk about. Right, Imani? Right. Exactly. Antis want this case to go to the Supreme Court. They really do because they know, as you said, that they've got six Federalist Society picked stooges waiting and ready to say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and ban medication abortion. Sure, we said leave it to the states and Dobbs, but we didn't really mean it. Right, right. If there is one thing that I could have folks take away from this episode is that this lawsuit is a political hit job on medication abortion. Nothing more, nothing less. That is all. We just explained how baseless the claims the antis are making in it. Like they're just, it's ridiculous. And the thing is for conservatives, the law doesn't matter right? The law just doesn't matter anymore if it ever did. The federal courts are a place where they make policy now. They implement their anti-democratic policies through these kinds of lawsuits. That's exactly right. They use the system that they gamed, right? Right. To block abortion access in states that they can't or don't control. Like that's, let me say that again. Yeah. They gamed the system to get the Dobbs case in front of the Supreme Court, leading all yep. the way back to Texas's nonsense with SB8, right? The bounty mm -hmm. hunter law. They gamed the system to block abortion access, claiming it was going to be just send it back to the states. But really what they want to do is block access in the states that they can't control. In the states like California and Vermont yes. and Michigan, right? These states that have... Colorado, these states mm -hmm. that have shored up their reproductive rights protections, they want to knock them down. Absolutely. And it's even scarier because they really truly think that they can get the Supreme Court to play along here, right? So there's a playbook. It's actually very wide out in the open. First, they find a friendly district court judge they feel confident will rule in their favor. And we'll get to that in a second. Then, in this case, they wait for the Biden administration to, to appeal that favorable ruling where it lands before the very conservative Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which we have talked ad infinitum about on this podcast, right? They helped give us Texas's bounty hunter law. And from the Fifth Circuit, it goes up to the Supreme Court, right? And, and like Amani and I have suggested, thanks to the fight over Texas's SB8, we also already have precedent of this court functionally overturning Roe versus Wade on the shadow docket. Like Dobbs did it for real, but they did it on the shadow docket first when they let SB8, that bounty hunter law, take effect. If the conservative justices really wanted to cause even more harm, 
even more chaos nationwide for abortion access, one of the surest ways they could do so in the short term is to approve whatever nonsense is going to come out of Texas around Mifepristone on the shadow docket. I Sorry. Mean, just the idea. Sorry. That, that, ugh, I can't. But, you know, that's what we have here, right? The Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. They're basically throwing legal claims at the wall like so much spaghetti, just throwing it right at the wall. They have no case. But the organization knew that it had a judge who would be more than happy to listen to their daft arguments and would be more than happy to ban medication abortion nationwide. And that judge, well, his name is Matt Kazmarek, and he is a district judge in Amarillo, Texas, in the Northern District of Texas. And that's what we're going to talk about third. We're going to talk about the ways in which Anti shopped around until they found the perfect Trump judge in Matt Kazmarek. So who I is th- Matt Kazmarek? Tell me. I, I really thought you were going to say, and that's what we're going to talk about. This fucking guy. <laughs> this fucking guy. Matt Kazmarek, this fucking guy. <laughs> this fucking guy was deputy general counsel for First Liberty sounds legit yeah right like who's first liberty that's an or the first liberty institute sorry i couldn't even finish the whole thing sounds even worse sounds even because it's an institute you know you slap institute on there it just adds a a degree of gravitas (laughs) oh the first liberty institute is a right-wing organization that you know tldr promotes christian theocracy i don't know how else to like describe it they are anti everything that we hold near and dear they are anti lgb anti trans you know they're not a big fan of abortion um broadly speaking democracy questionable <laughs> if whether or not that's a good thing with these folks and you know it's not just that he's that terrible He's also doing really weird stuff in connection with this litigation. So really? I'm going to have to talk about a little bit about Civ Pro, just a tiny bit, just like a tiny bit. Stop tiny, it. Just a tiny bit, just a tiny I bit. I thought we're friends. We already did. We did. The, that's why we did the Civ Pro in the, in the upfront, Amani. What I are you know, doing to but, me? But we got to, we got to. So we all know what amicus briefs are, right? Amicus briefs are friends of the court brief. Usually we see them um, in appellate courts, particularly in the Supreme Court, right? Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court takes on a big, heavy issue and you get 50 briefs supporting it and 50 briefs against it. And, you know, that's just the way it goes. There are no rules preventing district court judges, trial judges, because that's essentially what a district court Mm -hmm. judge is, a trial judge. There are no rules saying that district court judges can't permit amicus briefs. It, like at the initial stages of the litigation, like in support of the complaint. But that's what we have here. Matt Kazmarek is allowing Amici to file briefs in support of the complaint and the preliminary injunction request. I'm sorry, what? 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 That is bizarre. Like, yeah, we also agree that you should let this case continue because that's essentially what the complaint is. Like the first step of a complaint usually is you're seeking a preliminary injunction or Mm -hmm. the other side is trying to dismiss it. So allowing an an amicus brief in support of a complaint is just like being like, yeah, we agree. Normally, Amici, they bring arguments that perhaps aren't really at the table in front of the court or they shore up arguments that perhaps the party doesn't have time mm-hmm. to get into because they're they're limited by the number of pages that they can file with the court. That's not usually a thing. It's not usually a thing that happens at the beginning stages, but it gets even weirder 
No, it gets even weirder. So as we said, the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine is incorporated in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Matt Kasmerick allowed a anti-choice organization from Tennessee called something like, you know, Tennessee lovers of, you know, Jesus and haters of abortion. And we love the unborn. It was something about like the sanctuary of the unborn or something or other allowed this organization to file an amicus brief in support of the complaint and the preliminary injunction. Let me ask you a question, Jess. How long do you think this amicus brief was? How many pages do you think it was? Well, I mean, you know, an amicus brief is supposed to be pretty weighty because you're, you know, contributing something substantial for the court's consideration. And any amicus brief that I ever worked on back way back in the day would have clocked in at, you know, 20, 30 pages before you're getting to like an index and a table of contents or anything like that. Like, you know, 20 pages of meat on the bone. That's what I'm going with. Seven pages. Seven. I'm sorry. Seven <laughs> pages. Yeah. That's seven pages. And do you that's wanna... a long email. That is not an amazing brief. <laughs> this, I, I know that you, you filed a brief. Could have been an email. Could have been a text <laughs> message. Right? Like, let's stop with this. Here's Maybe they even just really succinct. Maybe they just have the like legal writing down. There was, there weren't any legal arguments in it. There were no legal arguments in this amicus brief. The amicus brief is essentially an anecdote about a medication abortion that went awry 20 years ago in West Virginia. Really, there was a person who had an adverse event because of some horrific non-normal circumstances surrounding medication abortion. Because again, medication abortion is wildly safe. But a person died and their estate sued and this random We Love the Unborn and We're in Tennessee organization filed a seven-page anecdote explaining what happened to this woman 20 years ago. Now, usually if you're like, there's hearsay rules, right? You can't just file briefs saying like, this happened. We swear it did. Well, you can swear it did, but these people didn't swear it did. They didn't provide an affidavit. They didn't get an affidavit from the estate of this woman who died explaining what happened. It was just like sitting around a campfire telling tales about who died from a medication abortion in 2000. It's it's absolutely absurd that that Kazmarak has allowed this. It's ridiculous. It's the functional equivalent of back when I was getting my perm touched up, Karen at the beauty shop was telling me a story about her cousin. <laughs> like, what is happening? What? And, what? and even more so, I, I found out recently that he allowed a coalition of states to also file an amicus brief in support of the complaint and preliminary injunction. And of course, you know what these states are. They're all the red states, all the anti-choice states, all the states that were like, you know, we're not trying to, you know, attorneys general in there talking about, you know, we're not trying to ban abortion nationwide. We just want to take, we just want to control what goes on within our own borders. But now they're filing amicus briefs saying, we also want to control what goes on in blue state borders. Right. And that's not like trying to file a brief to join the litigation, which some of the, you know, pharma companies are saying like, hey, 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 we actually have an interest that Amani and I are going to talk about in a second here. This is just like, hey, this this lawsuit, big thumbs up, big (laughs) thumbs up. (laughs) We like it. We're fans. Okay, so this guy. Kazmarak is likely to this grant, fucking guy. This fucking guy is likely to grant a nationwide injunction. So one federal court in one district in Texas is poised to issue a ruling that would impact 
every federal district in every state in the country. Like that's just wild reach. Anyway, he's likely to do this, even though, as we've established, the plaintiff's claims have like no merit. Come about, oh, you know, 16 years too late. Um, but really, this is the rub. It's because the aunties know that if they can't find a way, anyway, some way, just some possibility of getting uh, medication abortion off the market, of banning it, of really just pinching it in any way, shape, or form, that their plan of banning abortion nationwide is kaput. Like, this is critical for them. And this isn't just forum shopping, right? Like, I got to right. get back into the Civ Pro a little bit again. And I know you hate it, but you're going to have to bear with me. She's mad at me for something. <laughs> We're going to talk about this offline after the episode. But this isn't just forum shopping, right? Forum shopping um, happens when parties are looking for a particularly friendly jurisdiction where the law is good, right? So mm -hmm. imagine if it's like the aughts around 2006, 2007, and Those you're trying to years. find... Those were the good years, right? <laughs> Trying to find good. a good ruling in a same-sex marriage case, right? Sure. Where do you go? You go to the Ninth Circuit. You go yeah. to a state in the Ninth Circuit. You file in California. That's why so many of those lawsuits were filed in California, because the Ninth Circuit was the most liberal circuit in the country before Trump got his paws on it. Mm -hmm. But this is different. This isn't just trying to find a friendly jurisdiction. This is specifically trying to find a friendly judge, right? And right. And and that's and that's different. And that's because of the way that sort of that the way that Tennessee, the federal courts in Tennessee assign out cases. Right. Because. Look, they filed this lawsuit in Texas, not because they wanted any district judge in Texas, because they specifically wanted Matt Kazmarek and they right. knew that they would get him due to the way that cases are assigned in the Northern District. Usually district judges are chosen at random. So you file in the, in the northern in, you know, the northern district of. Southern District of New York, right? Yep. And you just get a judge. You don't get to decide what judge you get. You just get one. But in the Northern District of Texas, judges are assigned based on their divisions. Mm -hmm. And since Kazmarek is the district judge for the Amarillo division, if you bring a case in Amarillo, Texas, in that division, you are always going to get Matt Kazmarek as your judge. Always. Always. Yeah. And while we're on this Civ Pro tip, I want to talk about a little bit, little bit more. Do you think Matt Kazmarek is going to entertain the party's request to change venue to a place that's more convenient, a more convenient forum? No. Of course not, because then he won't be able to be the guy who bans medication abortion nationwide. I mean, and this is why he's probably one of, if not the most consequential judge on the bench right now. And I just want to build on Amani's point about the Ninth Circuit, because what Kazmarak as a district judge will do in this case, in any case, what district judges do is issue findings of fact and rulings of law. And those are the legal foundations that bake in to the possibility of changing law, right? Like the Ninth Circuit was where already before same-sex marriage lawsuits started like appearing across the board, where some broader principles were getting worked out, which was why that was in part of a, a good forum. Kazmarak is literally picked to start making law Mm -hmm. in this lawsuit. That's what he is designed to do. 
And if he rules the way we think he will, it's going to be really bad. I mean, basically, there's nothing to stop him from promoting his Christian theocratic agenda that we have been talking about on this podcast all season that pops up anytime he is involved in a case. And so I just really want to drive this home. He is there to make law. Right. And I also think that beyond being one of the most consequential judges on the bench, I think it makes him one of the most consequential public officials in the country. Right. Because it gave me a stomach ache. Right. Because if this is a guy who is willing to make law, as you said, and to ignore Mm -hmm. existing precedent in order to do so, that makes him very dangerous. That makes him the guy that everyone is going to go to when it comes to the rights that we hold near and dear. Right. I mean, that's just. It's a yeah. frightening prospect that I would I would argue that he is probably more important as a public official than the liberals on the Supreme Court. Yeah. And that's scary for this particular time. Oh, yeah. God. All right. We got to talk about what happens if the antis win. If this injunction gets granted, it's the fourth thing we're talking about on this episode. It's going to cause chaos. Okay. As Amani has hinted already, if the plaintiffs are successful here, it will strain our entire healthcare system because A, abortion is healthcare. Motherfuckers. <laughs> and B, abortion is healthcare, motherfucker. It's actually not any more complicated than that. All right. More people will be forced into procedural abortions, will be forced into carrying pregnancies to term, will be forced into self-managing with pills in situations they maybe didn't want to. It is going to create even more chaos We, as we've been talking about since the Dobbs decision and before, are in a human rights crisis when it comes to abortion rights and access in this country. This will, like, we can't overstate the harm to the system that is possible. And it also interferes with the businesses that make these drugs, right? And those lawsuits are already being filed. And quite frankly, like I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable with having to rely on lawsuits filed by Big Pharma, Big Pharma expressing their sort of business interests. But that might be our safest bet right now, because if there's one thing that the, that the Supreme Court and that conservatives writ large love, it's business. Right. Yeah. They might be willing to say, oh, yeah, it's going to screw over these businesses. Who cares about the women and the pregos? But we don't want these pharma companies to be asked out. And right. so. On January 25th, just last month, a generic mifepristone maker called GenBioPro, GenBioPro Inc., which I think is a really These funny names. Name. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, if I'm stuck rooting for Big Pharma, I'm going to lampoon your name. Like, that's Gen just part Bio of the deal. Pro, right? It reminds me of, I don't know if you've watched Better Off Ted. If you never have, you should watch it. Viridian Dynamics, right? Just like these ridiculous fake commercials. GenBioPro. People. Drugs. Abortion. <laughs> <laughs> so Jen Biopro filed a lawsuit alleging that West Virginia's ban on mifepristone, because West Virginia already banned mifepristone, mm-hmm. arguing that it violates the commerce Ooh. and the supremacy clauses. Oh. Now, the supremacy now clause talking. argument is it's easy, right? The preemption argument is simple. Federal law, Trump state law, them's the breaks. That's them's how it's the breaks. That's right. <laughs> like, at least that's how it should go. But the Commerce Clause, 
we've talked about the Commerce Clause. We actually did like a whole episode on the Commerce Clause uh, last, I guess it was last November or something like that. We were talking about the abortion gets pork. Remember abortion gets pork? That was the oh. name of the episode. We were talking yeah. about the pork regulations in California, yes. how California didn't want like New Jersey's jacked up pork. <laughs> you know, essentially. What's started- pork got to do with abortion? That's right. We sang the Tina Turner send up. What's pork got to got do? To do? With abortion. Exactly. So I'm going to, I'm not, if you want to go dig deep into the commerce clause, we're going to go ahead and we're going to link that episode in the show notes so you can go back and listen to it. We're not going to go over here because it's a lot. The commerce clause is a lot, but just briefly, the commerce clause permits Congress to regulate interstate commerce. Yep. Medication abortion pills is a product that is passed through over state borders, over the hill and far away. Anyway, they're (laughs) That's how medication abortion is part of commerce. The Commerce Clause also permits Congress to make sure that states aren't regulating the marketplace in a way that puts an undue burden on interstate commerce. And that's what West Virginia and some of these other states trying to ban mifepristone are doing. They are burdening the marketplace for mifepristone, right? I mean, arguably, Mm -hmm. right? And arguably, the ban on mifepristone should be invalid on those grounds. And if it's invalid in in those grounds, on that case, it should be invalid generally, which is exactly why the pharma companies have filed a brief in this Texas case to argue just that, that this is a straight up federalism issue. And also, hey, guess what? Unlike this super wildly speculative injury that the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine has claimed, we have real business interests at stake. We have real economic reliance interests here, both past, present, and future, not just these make-believe ones by make-believe doctors groups. So here we are, Amani, rooting for big pharma, I guess. Like big pharma might be what keeps medication, abortion pills broadly on the market that that makes me feel wildly uncomfortable that makes Yay. me feel uncomfortable like woo. Woo, you know we're gonna start talking about reproductive rights in the boardroom like that's what that's that's what we've come to not human rights not people who are pregnant or capable of being pregnant they don't matter what matters is how much money big pharma can make off the sale of medication abortion pills that sucks i hate it i hate it too but hey i need we need the pills we need the we pills. Need, so, you gotta have them pills. So, so thanks, pharma. Thanks for that. I like how I do this. Like you put pills in your veins. <laughs> none of that is. None of that is. <laughs> none of that makes sense. We got sense. some big deadlines coming up on this case. Like this isn't just a like. Oh, we're here to talk about this for funsies. This is like an imminent threat. So. Um, the briefs are due uh, before the court on February 24th, and Casmer could issue a ruling from that time forward. So as of February 24th, we are on countdown watch for whether or not we're going to get some haywire ruling out of Texas that could potentially pull Mifepristone from the marketplace. Yeah, that's great. It's terrible. Can I get it's a drink? It's terrible. Yeah, let's go get drinks. 
It's a lot. It's so, it's so much. If you want to talk to us about any of this stuff, if you've got concerns about medication abortion pills or this lawsuit in general, or if you want to talk about like the Eagles or why it's so goddamn hard to get Beyonce tickets, you can find me on Twitter at Angry Black Lady. You can find Jess on Twitter at Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. You should follow Rewire News Group on Twitter, on Instagram, and you should subscribe to our YouTube channel because that's how you're going to know immediately when our podcasts go up. And if for some reason you just don't want to look at us, you got other stuff to do, you like to listen to your pods on the go, then you can always get the podcast in the same place you always have. Google Play, yeah. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Neiman yeah. Marcus. I don't know. They sell podcasts? <laughs> they're, very, they're very like high-end luxury podcasts made from the finest silk. Anyway, that's going to... That's going to posh pods. Our producer just put in the chat posh pods, which is hilarious. Also, congratulations for hanging with us for 40 plus minutes on medication abortion lawsuits, folks. You are the true champions today. I mean, that's we, amazing. These are diehard law nerds, right? They love, love they it. live for this stuff. And on that note, what are we going to do, Jess? We're going to see you on the tubes, folks. We're going to see you on the tubes, folks.